the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is the Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. I do a radio show and I do a podcast. The radio show is roughly two hours a day. And I cherry pick segments out of it to make the podcast. So there's some things that are obvious. Like um, when I start at 7 o'clock hour, the market's already open. So I kind of do a roll call of what's happening and why. And then I try to piece together the other four, five, six, six, seven segments into a podcast. I try to keep the podcast at four total segments or less. You can find it anywhere you find podcasts. Tell a friend, pass it on. Thanks, help. Um, All that good stuff. I listen to commercials, though, when I'm doing the radio show. And I've been doing the radio show for over 20 years. And during the radio show, there's commercials. And you get, I've heard some commercials a lot, let's just say. But also during the commercials, there's market updates that are sponsored by you know um, various companies, but brought to you by basically my, my company that pays me minimum wage to the show. Um, and I'm happy to get it. I'm not. I love the broadcast angle. I really do. It's fun. Um, it keeps me honest. It keeps me, I have to get in front of a microphone every day. I'm not playing golf ever at 6 a.m., no tea times at 8, nothing like that. It was always my goal is to be locked into research early so that my day progressed around research. One of the things I heard during the commercial break was a market update, and um, it just made me crack up because yesterday was a big day on the markets, and today is a big day on the market, it sounds like. And what I said, and my producer probably caught this, I go, wow. Um, I don't really care about the daily market moves. I don't care if the market's up 600 one day, 500 another day, down 1,000. It's not how I play the game. And I play the game to create wealth and to not get caught up in scams, not to get caught up in fees and products. Um. <laughs> Even though I'm representing a certified financial planning firm, uh, there are fees there. Of course there are. They're essentially glorified lawyers or glorified knowledgeable people about wealth. And there's always going to be a transaction, a relationship there. I like it that it's fee only. It's in your best interest. Um, I like the accreditation of a certified financial planner, but even more importantly, I like the fact that they can do things that I can't. So I have a CFP with the firm that I work with and it just, I can create wealth. That's easy, but manage it in retirement. It's a little more difficult. So anyway, I heard the rally is extending yesterday to today. Must be the sign of a bottom. Not necessarily. It would be lovely if it was, because I know some people now are making some bad decisions. Got a person who I've seen my 401k drop and I need to take, you know, my, uh, I need to pay myself because I'm in retirement. What should I do? I'm like, well, you got to tell me a little bit more of what you have in your 401k. 
and you should have had more emergency fund. You know, you hear CFP Chad Burton come on the show on a regular basis say, you need three years of cash flow. We are six months, seven months, eight months, nine months, nine months, 10 months into a bad bear market um, where it's, it's, it feels like I'm down. I'm a sad bear. <laughs> kind of like, it's not good. It could be three years. That's why does Chad say three years of, of income in cash or cash like reserves? Because bear markets happen. It's not like, oh, I woke up and suddenly there's aliens living amongst us. When did this happen? You shouldn't be surprised by it. Anyhow, I don't want to get too far off base here. Um, I saw one of those um, stories on homes that people bought during the pandemic. You know that there was a big move from the big city. Why well, live in the big city if restaurants are closed? Let's move to the suburbs. Let's go somewhere where there's trees and bears. Not like bear markets, but bears, like real bears. That And people moved. I was a little stunned by this. Listen to this. Um, three quarters of pandemic home buyers have regrets. And then I thought about it. I, I Technically, I bought a home during the pandemic. I bought last year in 2021. Um, I moved my family from a 1,600 square foot home into a bigger home that has a pool. Uh, the pool parties have been epic for the kids and it's worth every penny. But do I have? Yeah, I know, right? Nearly three quarters of people who bought. And I'm like, wait, wait, I'm one of those people. So I, I kind of got into this article thinking like, wait, wait, people have regrets about buying a home? And I was like, let's see what their regrets are. Because that, that'll give me some poops and giggles, you know? Um, Kay Kingsman bought her very first home in the summer of 2021, but now wishes she had it. And ultimately, we kind of broke the rules. We started letting the seller be completely in control instead of learning to ask questions. Um, the seller was like, oh, no, no, I'm not going to ask answer questions. If you don't want it, I'll sell it to someone else. Okay, okay. You get how that's going. Um, when she bought her home, Kay Kingsman, she recounts finding beard shavings in the bathroom and the carpet smelling of cat urine. Okay. <clears throat> Interesting that she couldn't smell the cat urine when she first saw it, but did she buy it sight unseen? We don't know. The water pressure was weak and the air conditioning was busted. There also was no parking privileges because it was a condo that the previous owner got into a spat with a homeowners association. I'm not a big fan of homeowners associations or condos. When it comes to real estate, it's the one area that I will say try not to do. Unless you go in thinking, this is going to be a starter. I'm going to do it, but I'm going to get the hell out. I'm going to find someone else to sell it to. So if I were to do a condo, I would do it really, really close to a big campus like Apple. Or if I work for Apple, I'd do it really, really close to a big campus like my, where I work. Or a hospital or a university. You're going to need someone to buy that piece of poop from you down the road. Now, you're saying, Rob, I live in a condo. Do I live in a piece of poop? No, I'm not saying that. I think the homeowner association is a piece of poop. 
Um, you can't leave shoes outside your door. You can't have a door color painted the color green. You can't have, um, it is this, I've heard too many stories. And have you ever heard of a homeowner's association going down in cost? Nope. Have you ever heard of the rules getting easier and everyone really likes each other in a homeowner's association? Nope. Uh, then you get into like charging of electric vehicles in a homeowner's situation and well, you can't have a cord going out to your car. That's totally against the rules. So I'm not a homeowner's association kind of guy. And it sounds like this woman got into HOA type scenario. And maybe what she should have said is during the pandemic, I should not have got into a homeowner's association kind of thing. Nearly three fourths of Americans who purchased homes in 2021 and 2022 have regrets. Pandemic era buyers really faced unprecedented conditions. The combination of rising prices, few options to choose from, and the extreme time pressure meant that some buyers really ended up in a home less than ideal. Uh, I tell you my stories because I think they're A, honest, and B, relevant. Um, I've got a son who, um, I, well, I was born with a situation where I process the way that you do. Um, I don't visually see things like you do um, when... I see the word, when I see, you say the word car, um, I see like a car with three wheels instead of four. And I go, it's car. And I'm like, that's, that's a car. And they're like, wait, what's wrong with this picture? I'm like, it's a car. I know that dummy. And they're like, no, no, it's missing a tire. I'm like, oh, I missed that. So I learned how to process a little bit differently than you do. Um, it's a form of dyslexia. It's very, very mild. It's not very life changing. Um, it just, I learned to read differently than you do. I learned to understand things differently than you do. And again, it's not the dyslexia that you think of. There's five different types of dyslexia. It's not the I before E spelling backwards kind of thing. It's a visual thing. Um, so I found a great school for my son and we basically said, let's move. And one month later we were gone. That's how fast it happened. Um, so yeah, I got into a home that, and that was a situation where we're looking for a home, looking for a home, looking for a home. No, that one's not quite right. Oh man, that one's got a, <laughs> I looked at a home, listen to this crap that had a golf range on it. And in the backyard, it's like on the side of a hill. So it's got netting and the realtor's like, yeah, yeah, this, this guy, his son was a college golfer and he's on the pro tour now and he grew up in this home and it was a pretty funky home with lots of steps built into the side of a hill uh, it wasn't my thing it had a great it had a grotto pool like i would have felt like come on into the playboy mansion and come into the grotto it was that kind of cheesy but i was like maybe this is what i'm gonna end up with and at the last second a dream home came open and available and we got into a bidding war do i have some regrets of course i have some regrets do I wish that I paid, you know, over the market? Yeah. Do I wish I would have known a little bit more about how to maintain a pool? Sure. Um, I live in the country. Like I live without cellular service. <laughs> That's how bad it is. We have the internet, but the cellular service isn't in the location. Um, and there's a big fight amongst community owners of like, should we get Verizon to put a tower up? And they've been zoned for a tower. And I don't know. We all have regrets. The market's switching, so take your time if you can. Get an inspection. Waving an inspection is a lot of risk. I had to wave an inspection. I could have had kryptonite underneath my home. I know you're saying kryptonite's not real. Okay, radiation. I'm Rob Black. 
an education-first approach to managing your money. This is The Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Let's look at some headlines and see if they tell us anything interesting. Apple supplier Foxconn, they basically manufacture things for other people. And they do very high-end semiconductors and very high-end complex phones, computers, putting assembling. They are cautiously, cautiously positive. That's a tough phrase for me to turn. Cautiously positive. It doesn't make a lot of logical sense because cautious has cautious in it and positive has no caution in it. Um, but it, they say they're cautiously positive on fourth quarter after record sales. Um, and Foxconn basically told Apple, we're raising prices next year and you're not going to tell us just because you're a big boy that you're not going to accept those price hikes, are you? So they're playing tough with Apple. Okay. That should give you a little hope in some of the growth stocks that are getting beaten up on the NASDAQ. Micron said they're going to spend up to $100 billion to build a computer chip factory in New York. Um, that story to me is all about COVID zero policies out of China and trying to say, you know what, we're going to have to suck it up and build in America. We know America's got tougher building laws. We know America's got tougher labor laws. But if we're going to supply the world with our chips, we have to have some stability that America brings that China doesn't. And I hope it doesn't sound like I'm backing on China. I'm not trying. Apple's iPhone may have to use a common charger after EU lawmakers approve the rule. I don't know how I feel about that. But I do know that Apple makes an egregious amount of money selling cases and, and adapters and plugs and chargers. and but. We also could say no. So sometimes I don't like lawmakers. Sometimes I understand what they're trying to pull off here. And I I guess I can live with this one, but it feels a little bit like EU lawmakers have a little bit too much time on their hand. The European Parliament approved the rule, which if passed will mean all mobile phones, tablets, cameras sold in the European Union must be equipped with a USB type C charging port by the end of 2024. Apple, who has the lightning charger and it's proprietary, obviously would lose out. Um, and when you're talking about millions and millions and millions of phones, and then you start talking about the common architecture of USB type C charging ports, I get it. Um, but eh, can we solve world hunger or cancer or something bigger than chargers? Asking for that favor. Um, I hate Kim Kardashian. That's something that I'm just, I'm going to have to deal with it. She got fined $1.26 million by the SEC over her crypto promo. Um, what you need to know about this is you should never, I mean, you've got to look at everything is like protecting yourself. If you're taking financial advice or crypto advice from Brian Reynolds or Tom Cruise it's really like, aren't these people paid to look good on a screen? Um, Kim Kardashian's claim to fame is that her daddy had a lot of money and she had a sex tape and you're taking financial advice. If you've ever watched five minutes of the Kardashians, you've got to see that it's a all fake and B it's all fake. There's nothing interesting going on there. And to spend a lot of money on plastic surgery to enhance your buttocks just tells me like we are just a weird we are a society that's heading towards like rome 
Anyhow, I am digressing. Let's talk about a stock that this is not my idea. I'm stealing someone else's idea. Um, called Pool. Picker level P O O L. And guess what Pool does? Yeah, they, they, they do. They're in the pool business, right? Um, pools became a big thing in the pandemic. Homeowners bored from COVID-19 lockdowns, flush with cash thanks to rising home prices, government stimulus payments. They rushed to put so many pools into their homes. About 117,000 pools were installed in the United States in 2021, up 50% from the pandemic, pre-pandemic 2019. A lot of times now we refer to different phases of our economy as we say 2019 pre-pandemic, 2020, 2021 pandemic, 2022 kind of a recovery, but it hasn't been smooth. When will it be normalized? 2023, 2024. Pool is the world's largest wholesale distributor of swimming pool supplies. As big as its top 50 competitors combined, they are they are the 800. No, no, 40,000-pound gorilla. That's how big they are. And you're like, that's a big gorilla. They've got a dominant market share. 80% of its business comes from recurring services such as repair, maintenance, and remodeling. Um, I have a pool, and Pool Magazine comes to my home once a month trying to get me to supplies. I'm like, how did they even know? I certainly didn't sign up for this catalog. Um, the stock seems extreme. The company certainly benefited from COVID lockdowns and rising home prices. It's far from a play on just those things. It's the world's largest wholesale distributor of swimming pool supplies. Let me repeat one more time. They're bigger than their top 50 competitors combined. Now I used to say Walmart is bigger than number two, three, four, and five combined. They're bigger than two through 50 combined. I equate it to your utility bill or your cell phone service. Um, I've got an unlimited plan with Verizon and I'm like, oh, it's just a common unlimited plan to get 5G unlimited. It's another $5 a month. I'm like, why don't they just give it to me for free? Why don't they just add it into my bill and I'll pay it and you'll pay it too. Your utility bill your electricity, you got to keep your cell phone bill. You got to keep certain things you're going to buy month after month, after month, after month, after month. So during the winter months, do I cover up my pool and not use it? Nope. Because it's got to be cleaned. Um, in the winter months, I go a little more chlorine. I know you're saying that's an interesting thought, just a way of keeping it a little bit cleaner. Um, people don't let their pool turn green. And that's recurring revenue. That's what Wall Street loves, the subscription model. Wall Street loved Netflix on the subscription model. Now, they turned on it. But if you can get someone to pay you every single month, there's a lot of visibility. The company's stock dropped 10% on July 21 after it reported second quarter profits of $7.59 a share. Revenue of $2.1 billion came in about 4% below consensus. Stock has largely languished since and now hovers just 5% above its 52-week lows. So Barron's is basically saying, this should be looked at. They're not telling you to buy. Barron's is way too smart for that. They're saying, this is something that hit our radar because they're bigger than number two through 50 put together. Now, here's the bear case argument on it. 
Recent second quarter top line miss is evidence that pool is susceptible to the softening housing market. The company blamed a particularly wet and cold spring with recent heat waves boosting sales that reveal a strange fact about the swimming pool business. It's better during periods of drought than monsoon. Again, something you don't really think about, right? A pool uses roughly half the water of a lawn. California droughts of years have gone by, haven't affected pools distribution business to any significant degree. I I have a pool and I guess I should feel bad, but it uses half as much as my lawn does and my lawn uses almost nothing. The company has used prior dry periods to educate water officials and pool buyers about the efficiency of pools versus other landscaping options. So is it a value or not? It's trading 18 times earnings. The stock market's trading 16 times. So right there, you're paying a premium. It's pool stock typically gets a 50% premium to the market because the earnings have been growing faster over time. They seem to be able to buy all their competition and they seem to be able to corner the market. Um, in the midst of the housing crisis of 2002, 2006, 2008, um, it's tied towards housing prices. Which is fascinating. Um, so Barron's got enough there in an article for me to go. I'm going to look at that stock now. I'm not going to go. Well, Barron's and let, let me see who the writer of that article was. Um, Teresa Rivas. Now I'm going to look her up, and eh. she's been covering the financial market since 2007. I've been covering the financial market since the 1990s. I'm like. Eh. So then I'll look at some of her other articles that she's written. Just like, I want a good feel for, you know, her insights into business. Again, I'm not buying the stock, but it got me, she got me with that line. It's bigger than number two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, all the way to 50 put together. And now that I own a pool, I understand that I can't let it turn green. And those chemicals aren't cheap. One of my dream jobs, and you're going to laugh at me when I say this. One of my dream jobs is to be a pool cleaner. One minute. Like when I turn 60, just go to people's homes and get the leaves out and dump some chemicals in. So I was talking to the guy who cleans my pool. And um, he's the most relaxed dude in the world. He goes to like 10 houses a day and just cleans their pool. He looks happy. He looks stress-free. He looks like he doesn't know what's going on in the market, and that's the way he likes it. Um, to give you an idea, back in 1995, this was a $2 stock. It's now a $337 stock. Now, when market prices hit a peak last year, this was a $566 stock. Now, it's a $337 stock, so it's down bigly. Those are the stocks that I, I become attracted to. I'm going to continue to do work on it. I'm not going to buy it today, tomorrow, or the next day. I'm not legally allowed to. I may not even ever buy it. Consult a broker advisor for taking action on any stocks ever mentioned. I'm Rob Black. A personal financial plan with custom investment advice. That's why Rob Black has partnered with EP Wealth Advisors. With over $12 billion in assets under management and more than 80 financial professionals at the helm, EP services were built with you in mind. How can they help you? Find out at robblackshow.com. robblackshow.com. Welcome in to EP Wealth Advisors Informed Investor Market Update. I'm Rob Black. Sitting in with me today, Adam Phillips. He's a CFA, a CFP. He's the Director of Portfolio Strategy at EP Wealth. 
For the year, we just finished the third quarter. The NASDAQ's down 32% for the year. The S&P 500 down 24%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average hit a bear market down 20% from its recent highs. Oil's up 6% earlier in the year. That was more of a concern, but that's started to abate a little bit. Bitcoin down 58% year to date. So the third quarter over, Adam, what are you seeing in the markets? Um, not seeing a whole lot uh, of good news out there, Rob. And, and I think that, that you just mentioned it. You know, the, the, the third quarter actually saw stocks and bonds uh, each decline by about 5%. And, and so that, that's now three consecutive quarters where both stocks and bonds have ended the quarter in negative territory. So you think about that, you know, but before this year, you only saw stocks and bonds um, finish negative less than 10% of the time uh, historically. And, and so this really tells you we're in a unique environment. And, and as we look to the, to the fourth quarter, uh, you know, I, I'm managing my expectations and those of, of our clients as well. I, I think it's really important to just kind of take a look around and, and acknowledge that we have um, quite a bit of headwinds that we're facing. You know, in, in recent months, we had talked about how there, were, there was a lot of uncertainty out there. We were just waiting for clarity on a number of issues. And, and over the last several weeks, we've started to get that clarity. Unfortunately, it's not the, they're not necessarily the answers we were looking for. We know now the Fed is, is really, as we've said, they're hell-bent on, on uh, restoring price stability. They're going to do it uh, not at any cost, um, but they are focused on, on bringing inflation down. And so they're committed to uh, continuing in this path towards monetary policy tightening. Um, we have, uh, you know, we've seen that Vladimir Putin has uh, no intention um, of withdrawing from Ukraine, right? So there's a lot of issues here. China is still, um, they, they are still committed to this zero COVID uh, policy. And so a, a lot, uh, uh, many regions within China uh, remain shut down. And, and so, you know, there, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of headwinds out there facing the, the global economy, facing investors in, in, the, in the fourth quarter. So I, I think it is important to acknowledge the risks out there over the near term, even though we are long-term investors, but it's just important to kind of acknowledge where you are. Um, you know, at, at the same time, I do see opportunity there. Um, so we're, we're defensive across our portfolios. That doesn't mean you can't still be nimble and position portfolios. Uh, and so we've taken steps to get a little bit more defensive, um, but uh, we still think that there are opportunities in equities and even in fixed income, which has not had a great year. And uh, you know, many people probably feel betrayed by the volatility and, and the losses in fixed income. It's an area that has historically been a, a ballast of a portfolio and hasn't really done its job this year. And so I think it is important to remind investors that uh, fixed income is still worthwhile. Um, uh, it's still worth consideration uh, and inclusion within a diversified portfolio. Always good to reach out to your financial planning team as well to talk about those kind of topics. Um, let's talk about fourth quarter. Um, and the report card that is earnings season. Um, October, we will look back at the last 90 days, and it's time to tell the truth for the companies out there um, in the S&P 500. What are you expecting? Yeah, well, you know, market expectations are for about 3% year-over-year earnings growth in the third quarter. Um, that's actually, it would be the lowest uh, in about two years. And what's really interesting is earnings expectations have come down quite a bit. So you just rewind the clock to June 30th and expectations for third quarter earnings were about nine or 10% year over year growth. And so they've come down to, to just shy of 3% now. So it tells you that there's been this kind of resetting of expectations among the street. 
So now it's going to be really interesting to hear from these companies about where this, uh, where the data and, and, and where the performance is actually coming in. Equally important or probably more important than this backward looking information about how companies did in the most recent quarter is what they see going forward. We know that inflation remains high. It's the highest in 40 years. And we also know that the dollar has been on a tear. It's been on a tear for several years now. Um, but it's up another 15 to 20%, depending on which dollar index you look at versus global currencies. And so some watching might say, yeah, but a, a strong dollar is a good thing. It is a good thing to us. It's a source of pride, right? And it also makes things like travel and, and imports cheaper. But it's not a good thing for companies that rely on, um, on other countries for, for their revenues. And so it's likely to to have make some kind of a dent uh, in their in their um, operating performance over the coming quarters. And so I think that's really what investors are on the lookout for. We've talked about how one of the nice things about this pullback, this bear market in stocks, is that valuations are now they're somewhat attractive. One could argue, right, that the price to earnings ratio um, based on on future earnings over the next twelve months um, that's a common valuation metric that we all look at. Uh, it's actually suggests that prices are lower or cheaper um, than they than they have been over the last 25 years, so that, that 25 year average. And so that's a good thing. Right. Um, whereas before coming into the year, prices were actually, I'd say, pretty rich. We weren't in bubble territory by any means, but they were they were extended. It was hard to argue that stocks were cheap. Now it's kind of reversed this other way. But if you think about it, that that denominator, uh, that the that, that bottom number, that earnings over the next 12 months is really Part of what's driving that that overall valuation metric. The reason I mention that is because believe that, that that number is real, that valuations are in fact attractive. You need to assume that that earnings number is accurate. And so, these when we hear from these companies about what they see going forward, it'll be interesting to see if that earnings projection over the next twelve months is guided lower. If it is guided lower then valuations aren't as attractive as, as they might appear. Uh, and so I think that's why it's really interesting to us and uh, in, in how, we're, how we're viewing the world. It's one of my favorite things to do is listen to conference calls, um, just to see what's important to the analyst community, because I obviously integrated that into what I do. Um, any last thoughts, anything that we need to be working on, thinking about? Yeah, well, look, I mean, this is the, this is the first... Uh, week of of, uh, of October. And so it's an exciting month. It always has been. This is when we get a lot of great uh, data, um, you know, manufacturing and, and, and service data, um, which are, are really good uh, leading indicators for the economy. I think we know the economy is softening. This is likely to um, simply confirm what we already know. Uh, but it'll be interesting to kind of just look and, and, and see what uh, what some of these measures are saying. And then on Friday, we'll have the latest jobs data. Uh, for the month of September. So probably looking at another strong month north of 200,000 gains in in, uh, in payrolls. Um, unemployment rate is likely to remain low. It's likely to confirm that we are in a very tight labor market, which really just makes the job all the more difficult um, because uh, it's it's just creating additional upward pressure on wages because it's um, there's so much demand for jobs. And so uh, I think it'll be really interesting to get those reports. I'm sure we'll talk about them next week. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, we could probably leave it there. Let's leave it there. And uh, it's because it is the fourth quarter, we'll start talking about 2023 soon enough. And there's an election coming up in November. So we got tons of content for people coming up. It's Rob Black. I'm Rob Black for EP Wealth Investors, Informed Investor Market Update. Joining me today was Adam Phillips, CFA, CFP, Director of Portfolio Strategy for EP Wealth. 
irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is the Rob Black Show. Whatever it takes to get you to retirement, that's the goal. A lot of focus is on the daily activity of the stock market, even though I'm not really a daily activity watcher of the stock market. I do it only because I have to. Let's talk daily activity of the stock market and what's been happening the last week with Patrick O'Hare at briefing.com. There is a lot of content that briefing.com throws out there on domestic and international economic affairs. It's a great website to start your day with. I start mine with Patrick O'Hare and his page one column. Patrick, how are you today? Hey, Rob. I'm doing well. Thanks. Good to be back with you. What do you think about last week on the stock market? We went from Friday's lows of up. Uh, we've broken the lows. We're going lower, lower, lower. The tweets started coming to me. My friends started panicking. What should I do now? And then two days of glorious rally. Then comes Wednesday and Patrick O'Hare has to talk about it. What's up, Patrick? Right. Right. Well, I guess those tweets were your cue to buy buy the market. You know, if, uh, you know, basically you get signs of panic or people are really you know, uh, spooked by what's going on in the market, it becomes a bit of a contrarian uh, indicator. Uh, but that point aside, there were some uh, other true market indicators that were suggesting that the, the deck was stacked for a nice contrarian rally. We've seen that in the extremely uh, bearish sentiment readings from the American Association of Individual Investors and in the Investors Intelligence Reports. Um, there was uh, an indication that the uh, uh, the net short index futures positions were at a record level last week. Uh, a lot of buying of puts to protect against uh, further downside. And so you had kind of this confluence of negativity really come to a head. And, and we saw the S&P 500 hit a, a new low for the year on Friday. And then lo and behold, two days later, we're up 6% and everyone's feeling good again. Um, but that really, I think what we've seen over the last two days was really a case of uh, what we've termed to be offside positioning, as well as this speculation that, you know, the Fed might be inclined to uh, pivot or, or at least shift to a, a less aggressive policy stance sometime soon. Uh, kind of take an exception to that speculation, but that nonetheless was a real driver here over the past few sessions. Interesting times. Um Fed pivot. I talked a little bit about it today where I said, maybe it's Friday's jobs report. Maybe it's the next CPI number. Maybe the consumer price index number. Maybe it's the holiday shopping season numbers are down. Maybe it's a big uh, company failing. Is that kind of what we're looking for? A, a sign that the Fed should pivot or should we wait to actually hear it from the horse's mouth, the Federal Reserve saying we're pivoting? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's what the stock market is certainly looking for and, and okay. hoping for. Uh, we don't think that the Fed itself is you know, at that same place yet. I mean, you know, we, we, we can pinpoint this employment report coming in a few days from now as maybe one of those indicators that would make the stock market think the Fed is about to pivot or at least, you know, maybe get less aggressive with its rate hikes. Uh, but more recently, I mean, Cleveland Fed President Mester, for one, who is an FOMC voter this year, was yep. talking about the need to see, you know, at least, you know, three monthly uh, uh, consecutive reports of, you know, showing a, a, a weakening in the inflation trend. And we don't even have one yet, you know, if you really look at it. I mean, if we go back to that August CPI report reported on September 13th, core CPI went up versus July. 
And uh, and the same case was seen in in the PCE price index, but specifically the core PCE price index. It did not go down. It went up. So, you know, by that measure, we might be saying that, yeah, this one data point coming soon might make the market feel good, but the Fed won't be convinced necessarily until it sees maybe two, three, four more reports in the coming months that really solidifies, you know, an improving trend that they want to see on both the labor front and the inflation front. So, um, so I do think that this Fed is really now kind of woken up to the idea that they erred in keeping rates as low as they did for as long as they did and continuing to buy mortgage-backed securities for as long as they did. And I think they really want to put this genie back in the bottle and uh, and are going to take a hard, hard-nosed uh, stance here to, you know, to break this cycle of, of moral hazard that it created itself by constantly coming to the rescue of the stock market when things, you know, went badly. Um, it really needs to get inflation under control. And uh, and I think Fed Chair Powell is also well aware of uh, some legacy issues that he doesn't want to go down as the worst chairman in, in history and wants to make sure that his record shows that uh, while inflation got out of hand on his watch, he also took the steps necessary to get it back in control. And he can also focus on, I got us through the pandemic. I mean, there's it's funny writing your legacy um, in real time. Now, you, you talked a little bit about the jobs market, and there's a big number coming out on Friday, the first Friday of every month. Briefing does a great job of covering that. But I, I am seeing companies like Amazon and Meta really send clear signals to the market that we're not hiring. We're, we're probably firing hint, hint. Um, We're telling our managers to go out and find the weakest links and tell them to find other jobs or they will be cut. Do we have to wait for the unemployment number to hit the print on the first Friday of the month and see unemployment go to 6% for the, the bear market to die? Do we have to wait for it? Or it, I guess the anticipation is getting ahead of myself, isn't it? Well, no, I mean, that is the disconnect right now, Rob, is because the, you know, the market, the stock market is a forward-looking indicator. And lo and behold, you have the Fed looking at a backward-looking, a trailing, indi- a lagging indicator, right, okay. in terms of employment as, as kind of a benchmark for what it wants to do, you know, with its policy position. And that's, I think, why you get this extreme volatility and why you see these extreme moves both to the upside and the downside. Uh, and you're absolutely right. You know, there's plenty, there's a growing amount of anecdotal reports that, you know, suggest that companies are getting, um, you know, are starting to pare back hiring plans, putting freezes on plans, even cutting positions. However, the leading indicator of initial jobless claims does not suggest that there's been a significant loosening in the labor market yet. Um, You know, we can point to that JOLTS report yesterday as, you know, one of the largest month-over-month drops on record, but you still have 10 million-plus job openings. you know, which is significantly higher than the amount of unemployed people currently registered, uh, you know, per the BLS's uh, record keeping. And so um, so we're not there yet, I don't think, in terms of uh, of the Fed itself being convinced that it's at that point where it can kind of, uh, you know, talk a little less tough, if you will. Um, but we've got some indicators coming up. We also have the CPI report for September next week. And if we get a nice softer, you know, employment number this week, followed by a softer CPI number next week, um, then the chatter is going to pick up, and the market, I think, itself is going to start trying to force the Fed's hand into believing it needs to uh, take a step down uh, with its uh, aggressive rate hikes, and that could be meaning 
you know, you go to 50 basis points instead of 75, or maybe even on the margin, a 25 basis point hike versus a 50 basis point hike. But the Fed's not done raising rates yet, regardless. You've been spot on in the last six months about needing to see earnings estimates come down, and they have come down. We're moving into earnings season. The fourth quarter just started on October 1st. Third quarter ended, so we got about 30 days, and we should start seeing the numbers change um, in earnings and what you know how the dollar is hitting corporations. What are you expecting out of earnings season? Yeah, well, I think it's fair to say that the bar has been lowered a pretty good okay. amount for the for the third quarter earnings reporting period. According to FACSA, analysts are looking for about 2.9% year-over-year growth versus uh, somewhere closer to 9% when the, when the quarter started, right? So there has been a significant cut to earnings estimates. I think what's still missing, though, here is is the cut to to forward estimates, right? Not just Q4, but really calendar 2023. Um, the lag effect of the Fed's rate hikes uh, uh, this year, as well as rate hikes from other central banks around the globe, are are going to be should be more pronounced in coming months. And we're still looking, according to FactSet, at eight percent year over year earnings growth in calendar 2023. We just think that that's still too high, and that's what needs to come down. And we do think that in this third quarter earnings reporting period, you are going to hear more companies sound a cautious note uh, with respect to the uh, outlook for the fourth quarter and into next year, uh, as they, like you have referenced here, also draw attention to a number of anecdotal signs that suggest the uh, consumer should be slowing uh, their spending, and therefore you're likely to see a, a slowdown in business spending as well. So we're not expecting a great guidance period out of this reporting season, but we do think that the actual reporting period for the third quarter could end up being uh, a little bit better than expected because of how far those uh, rates, the estimates have been cut for the third quarter. We've got less than a minute. Is there anything that you want to add? Well, um, you know, I think that, you know, what we're trying to get our mind around is like, when will the Fed, you know, pivot, if you will. And uh, we do think that the market has been really premature in the last few days here to think that there is going to be a a, um, a friendly sign from the Fed here in the next, uh, you know, few weeks or so. Um, you know, we have oil prices moving up again. That's not great for inflation. It's not great for consumer spending. Um, we saw stocks rally, obviously, just on the idea that the Fed could pivot. That's not what the Fed wants to see, you know, right now, frankly. So, I think we might have to digest a little bit more of a, a tougher Fed here in coming weeks, uh, which will then lead to continued volatility for the stock market in the near term. Thanks very much. It's the one, the only Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. He's an amazing perspective on the markets. I start my day every morning with page one, end it with the big picture on Fridays. You can find his work at briefing.com. That's briefing.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.